What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast, where good taste and slogan sound effect. Uh, hello, my name is uh, Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic, and with me as always is my intelligent and scintillating co-host. Uh, yeah, my name is William Bibiani. Everybody calls me Bibbs, and hey, remember when Whitney used to care? Wait, what? what are you talking about? <laughs> about the intro, now it's just like, ah, well, meta. Slow, uh, this, we, we do have a slogan that we use occasionally. Yeah, we, 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 we've been slack. Yeah, we, we've we, been uh, slack. I, I think we're... Uh, we're less enamored of it now than we were at the beginning. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's uh, we 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 have all but, uh, these shows. And that's, but uh, you're you're here to hear us talk about movies. You're not here to hear our our uh, our, our pithy slogan writing. I like skills. a formula, but anyway, <laughs> this week on critically acclaimed reviewing actually a bunch of new releases this week. Reviewing the new releases: Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Titan, not Titan. I know that's how it looks, but it's French. It's Titan. Titan. Yeah. Uh, the Adams Family 2, The Many Saints of Newark, I'm Your Man, No One Gets Out Alive, and the Welcome to the Blumhouse Amazon exclusive, Black as Night. That's a lot of films. That's, uh, that's seven of those. That's a, that's a, that is, that is... Ooh. We got seven movies seven. this week. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm good at math. <laughs> I went to film criticism because I'm bad at math, so we're fine. Hmm. Uh, yeah, let's, well, let's just jump right in. Uh, the, the big, big, big... Movie of the week, the one that actually that is the highest earning film yeah, of the week, and and actually did really well at the box office, like better than I think some of us were expecting it to. Uh-huh. Uh did better than the previous film did pre-pandemic, uh, and that is the sequel to Venom called Venom: Let There Be Carnage. And by the way, thank you for a colorful title. <laughs> thank you for not just like Spider-Man Two Venom or Spider-Man. Two. He's not home anymore. Like no, like let's actually like there's some drama in that title. I kind of love that Spider-Man. He's out doing laundry. Um, speaking of Spider-Man's laundry, Venom uh, <laughs> Venom started his life as a Spider-Man's laundry uh, during I think it was the Secret Wars crossover event. Yeah, uh, a lot was, of was... a lot of superheroes went into a costume making machine that they found on an alien planet. And it made them all new costumes. It was a good way to re- rebrand the characters a little bit. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, Spider-Man's costume had been torn on this mm-hmm. uh, battle world. And uh, he overheard everyone talking about, oh, this is this great machine, and it may- fixes all our costumes. And Spider-Man- you mean a sewing machine that he knows how to use clearly? Because he made that? Yeah, anyway. Well, anyway, he goes to this like <laughs> alien rec room and uh, thinks he's using the right costume-making machine, and he's not. He actually attaches himself to an alien symbiote that is alive and conscious and actually, for the most part, kind of parasitic. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's a weird origin for anything, isn't it? The costume is a living thing, and it it can turn into, like, this blue tar-like glop. Mm. It's supposed and, to be uh, black, but they gave it, it, like, a shine so yeah, that it could actually, okay. like, pop, so it's, but it's, it's, it's black. It's, it's, like, yeah, it's, it's like tar, and, um... Yeah. Uh, in the comics, uh, that tar thing came off of him at one point, wrapped around another person, and yeah. essentially well, became Spider-Man's evil twin. The idea is the the mm. symbiote like amplified Spider-Man's powers, but it also was kind of like you know an after-school special kind of drug PSA, and he started becoming like angry and more violent and not very Spider-Man, and he had to reject it. And the symbiote, you know, completely, you know, lovelorn. 
uh, ended up attaching itself to someone who also hated Spider-Man, this guy named Eddie Brock. And can we just talk, uh, just real fast. Mm-hmm. That's a wild idea. That we're going to give <laughs> Spider-Man a costume made out of living tar that has a personality and becomes a drug that then ends up leaving him and joining and becoming like his stalker. That's it's, a weird the, thing the, that yeah, they the, did. The costume wants Spider-Man back and hates him and loves him, but also wants to kill him. And That's uh, so I, I can't get as, over how just bizarre the, that is. In the comics, you know, as, the, for granted now, as the character evolved, it became like much more monstrous. Like mm-hmm. Venom at first was like evil-looking Spider-Man, much larger with like claws, and then a big scary-looking grin. Yeah, big, uh, big giant shark and, teeth, and, and like, yeah, and the the teeth got bigger and bigger, and the jaw became larger, and got a big lolling tongue and was spitting yeah. slime and ate human brains. Um, it, it's it's ugly. It's, it's like a monster. A, it's really a, like gross-looking monster. Yeah. Uh, in 2018, uh, they made a movie about Venom sans Spider-Man, and I think the concept plays better if you don't have the Spider-Man concept attached to it. I'm actually 100% in agreement on mm. this. I was I was a kid when Venom like first came out as a character, and yeah, I was reading like the, Spider-Man. The mid-80s, the character yeah, the, started. The, the costume was introduced character. in the mid-80s, Venom was introduced in by like, the late 80s, mm. and like I remember Venom being Spider-Man's new great arch-nemesis, and he was everywhere, he got his own miniseries in the 90s. I was there for Venom Fever, and speaking of someone who grew up reading Spider-Man comics and loves Spider-Man, mm. I, I'm not. That doesn't make me better than anything. It's just like I, I have a lot of affection for Spider-Man as a character. Um, Venom as a Spider-Man character is kind of silly. <laughs> Venom well, like, as like, like like Venom said, as just an alien that, that attaches itself to somebody and forms like this weird unhealthy relationship with them but it but it looks like spider-man's costume so it's like an evil spider-man so just just take away the the Uh spider-man aspect of that and you've got a perfectly good idea in and of itself and you don't need to spend like two-thirds of a movie introducing the whole spider-man thing which is one of the problems with spider-man 3 is that it took forever to like set up the idea of venom and then by the end of the movie, you had to kind of rush him in the third act. Yeah, and, and, so, like, they were kind yeah. of doomed from the start because they weren't going to make, like, a two-part movie. So uh, we have uh, Eddie Brock in Spider-Man 3 was played by Topher Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Brock, the, the same character, but now completely reimagined for... The 2018 film was played by Tom Hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the alien goo attached himself. It turns out the alien goo is not compatible with every human being. Yeah. Uh, and found just the right person. And by the end of that film... They were sort of, uh, sort of like roommates who like joshed each other and occasionally would go out and like slay bad guys. Mm. And they were also kind of had they were kind of in love with like the same woman played by Michelle Williams. Mm. Uh, in this new one, so, uh, they're lovers. Yeah, so they are is, clearly lovers. In, in this, this new one. one, this is the second film in which Michelle Williams is uh, made completely miserable by her boyfriend and his male lover. Uh, yeah, because it's that's also the the premise of Brokeback Mountain. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but yeah, it's a good point. I don't know if that's the hook of both of those movies, but it does no, but yeah, either. in this one we we meet them yeah. and they're roommates, but they bicker like an old married couple. Yeah. That is Eddie and the voice in his head, Venom, also played by Tom Hardy, with a lot but of like, like yeah, CG, they, they, they whatever, distort his voice. Yeah, but it, I love Tom the, Hardy's performance as Venom. He sounds mm. like um, he sounds like a really pissed off 1990s Coca Cola announcer. Yeah, <laughs> everything is awesome. <laughs> like like every, I, I, and I there's no to... there's no subtlety to his inflection. Everything is huge, and I love it. It's we so should be out there snacking on bad guys. And, yeah. Uh, 
Uh, Eddie has decided to start feeding this monster that lives inside his body chicken brains, but the monster doesn't like that. So uh, Mm -hmm. the monster keeps on ordering Eddie to go out into the world and actually like murder people in the street because he wants to eat his favorite thing, which is brains. He wants to compromise. He Mm -hmm. says he'll do it with bad guys, but Eddie's still uncomfortable even with that. Uh, Meanwhile, in the local prison, uh, a serial killer, uh, very Mickey Knox from Natural Born Killers, uh, played by Woody Harrelson, guy named Cletus Cassidy. Woody Harrelson is 60 years old, and he was a teenager in 1996. According to this so, movie. Yeah, he, he's playing a character like a good 20 years younger than he is. I love that they expect uh, us to, like, Woody Harrelson was starring in movies as an adult in the 90s, and he'd been around for a while before that. <laughs> he was on we know how We know how old he is. That's uh, like saying that Jason Statham is Vanessa Kirby's age and Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> no, yeah, he is like not. 20 years apart. What are you doing to uh, us? Holy shit, just say he's old. Who gives a shit? But he plays a, he plays a serial killer, although in a PG thirteen sort of way, yeah. where we they talk about how horrible how he's done horrible things, but we never really get the details. It's just he's, he's murdered a bunch of people. They don't they don't make him cuddly though. He's clearly no. like a monster. He talks about drinking human blood and stuff like that. He's clearly you know mm. a serial killer. I don't think that they they hide the gore a little bit, but it's. Pretty, pretty harsh. Uh, there's a, a not very well explored plot element about uh, Eddie is a journalist and yeah. he doesn't really do a lot of journalism, but that gives him access to the, uh, the Cletus Cassidy character mm-hmm. uh, during uh, uh, one of their uh, conversations. Cletus bites Eddie mm-hmm. and unwittingly sucks out like a little piece of the venom monster. Yeah. And wouldn't you know it, that thing grows inside of Eddie and turns into another thing, and together they become a creature called Carnage, who is larger, uh, has a lot more tentacles and knives and things, and of course he's a serial killer, he has no compunction about murdering everybody. Yeah, so Carnage, has, whereas Venom has to make, like... Um compromises mm. in order to live with his uh, with his human symbiote uh, carnage does not uh the one thing that cletus cassidy demands of carnage is that they break his old girlfriend out mm. of superpower prison his old girlfriend is played by naomi harris uh she is a villain from the comics named shriek and she has supersonic screaming powers which as it I- turns out <laughs> ironically is uh. actually uh, one of the symbiote's two weaknesses it's fire and like supersonic sounds mm. um so what we have here at the core of this movie are two polyqueer relationships. <laughs> we have Eddie and Venom, and they're both totally cool with Michelle Williams. And over the course of the movie, they get a little bit more cool with her boyfriend. Well, they and were, then, they were uh, on the outs with Michelle Williams because she's engaged to a new man. But even and then, there's, there's this total, like... And Venom is fine with her, and there's a bit later on where she flirts with Venom, and Venom's totally into it. Mm. Uh, and uh, also, like, there's this bit where like Venom is trying to make Eddie feel better after she says she's engaged at the beginning of the movie. And at first, it seems like he's being like the over, like you know, oh, I've been kind of a shitty roommate. Let me cook you breakfast. Mm. But then he realizes he's being hyper domestic, and he's kind of like, and now I can, now he's all mine. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's really adorable, actually. The, the scene where the. The creature's, like, tentacles are reaching out of Tom Hardy's back, making him breakfast, and making a mess in the kitchen is one of my favorite things. It's adorable! He's and, so oh, and, he's and trying it's, so hard! <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna make you some waffles and want some ketchup splat! It's... <laughs> 
It's, it's like and, something and, and Eddie's, and Eddie's like not happy about breaking stuff, but Venom's trying really hard, yeah. and he loves Venom for it, and it's really and, sweet. But uh, uh, the 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 centerpiece of the movie is when uh, they they break up. Yeah, you've made my life miserable. And it's like, you were nothing before you met me. You know, get, get off of me. I, I can't have you in my life anymore. And the, yeah. the blob jumps off him and starts jumping from person to person, making them sick and presumably killing them al- along the way. Yeah, because he's not, uh, he's, they're he's not, not soulmates. Compatible, compatible yeah. with anybody. And he, and he goes to a coming out party. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a Halloween fair, but he gets up on stage, grabs a microphone, like Venom, yeah. this big he's, monster. He's covered in rainbow glow sticks, talking mm. about literally the, the line of dialogue is coming out of the Eddie closet. Uh, a woman comes on to him and he says, not my type. Yeah. <laughs> and then he talks, he has this incredible monologue about why it's important for people of all types to live together openly and accept each mm. other on what he describes as this giant ball of fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's it's, like, yeah! And yeah. My favorite part is this one guy who's like early on in the speech. The guy goes, yeah! Just random dude in the back. And Venom says, thank you, one person! Yeah. <laughs> it's just so funny though. But the other thing, but the other, again, the other so relationship. This is, yeah. this is, so now we, yeah, we, now we have Venom as a queer icon. Yeah. Uh, that, Tom this, Hardy's part great, of that yeah. as well. Michelle Williams is part of that as well. And then we have uh, Cletus and Carnage and Shriek. And what ultimately is at stake here with, you know, they're, they're killing a bunch of people and it's bad and Venom has to try to stop them, yada, yada, yada. But it's not about which symbiote is stronger. It actually ends up being about whose poly relationship is more secure. <laughs> because ultimately this sort of like rivalry between Carnage and Shriek is probably going to end up being their downfall yeah. way more than can Venom punch them harder. Yeah, like, and I love you, that. It's a character-driven superhero story <laughs> about and, uh, romance. That's so cool. Uh, it's got a lot of wacky stuff in it. So uh, funny. It, it's, the, the pacing is pretty wild. It is a, a mere 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't need to be any longer. It really well, doesn't. not really. I mean, it, it, it could have, it's a little brisk. Maybe it could have used a little bit more room to breathe, but like five minutes or something at most. Like May, it's, maybe. Uh, maybe it a doesn't little need bit, much more than that. A little bit more to establish Eddie as a journalist. Yeah. Uh, but a, apart from that, yeah, I think it just gets to the point. Uh, it feels like uh, superhero films of a previous era. Yeah. And I think we didn't realize how good some of those older ones were maybe have you watched blade uh, recently the original blade uh not not for a couple of years but i've i've seen it like yeah. i owned it i've watched it a couple times i rewatched it not that long ago it holds up great yeah, it's really yeah. efficient it's really sharp it's um especially it's got a lot of, cheap but whatever yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's more plot focused than character focused which is something that mm. i think the 21st century superhero movies do more of mm. um and i think you might you might miss that a little bit, but as just a pure action movie, it's solid. And yeah, Venom yeah. has that super efficient plot, but because it's actually about something very sweet, mm. even the serial killers are like, all they want to do is get married. <laughs> like, it's actually very, it's a very heartwarming kind of movie. And there's even bits at the end where Cletus Cassidy is trying to talk to... Uh, Eddie Brock about like here's why I, here's why I connected with you in the first place mm. as a serial killer and a journalist. I, I'm reaching out. I'm looking for family, mm. and he even talks about like yeah, okay, I killed my grandmother and my mother and like my dad. But did you ever ask why? <laughs> and it's actually like more sympathetic to the villains, and these are evil villains who do horrible mm. things without forgiving them for their sins. But it's more sympathetic to them than a lot of other superhero movies. Mm. Hell, it's more sympathetic than Dear Evan Hansen. And like, <laughs> I'm actually like just totally grooving on this movie. It's mm. it's fast paced. It's 
romantic. Oh, it's funny. It's very funny. Like I'm really enjoying well, this film. I was actually going to say the, the the humor is the one thing where I think it lags a little bit. You think? Um, and Andy Circus is good at sort of Andy Circus directed this. By Andy Circus, the, the director, yeah. um, is, was able to put together uh, something efficient, something that had you know a good, interesting character work, a good, interesting kind of concept about this romance between this. Uh, journalist in this monster blob from outer space. Uh, and I can see a lot of humor kind of bubbling under the surface, but I think he's so eager to keep things going that he doesn't let the jokes breathe from time to time. And I mm. feel like there's a, a a little bit of a lighter tone he could have taken, yeah. but I feel that maybe if he had, people would start comparing it to like the Avengers movies, which all have mm. sort of like those that quippiness to him. Yeah. Um, so it could have benefited, I think, with a little bit more uh, lighthearted humor moments, not I, not overall tone. But I just, think of this uh, as like one of those, like it's almost like um, Dharma and Greg kind mm. of things or like the world was pretty normal. Will like Greg Dharma and Greg was a sitcom from the 90s. I don't know if anyone remembers it. What, but one of the were, archetypal uh, Manic Pixie Dream Curls. Yeah, it's about a really straight laced uh, dude who ends up in a whirlwind romance with a very fiery... Uh, impulsive, uh, hippie-type young woman, and they end up very impulsively getting married, like, mm. after, like, dating for, like, two days. And then now they're they're stuck together, and she's annoyed by how straight-laced he is, and he's annoyed by how carefree she is, and, of course, they're perfect for each other, yada, yada, yada. Uh, this is that, mm. okay? And I feel like that's where the humor of this lies. Everything was kind of normal and 90s-efficient or whatever, in terms of like movie making until this Venom guy showed up. And Venom <laughs> is this chaos agent. Venom mm. is this like manic pixie dream goo that <laughs> just sort of popped in and has made everyone's <laughs> life like a weird chaos mm. whirlwind of nonsense and violence and brain eating. And everyone he's like Alf. Like everyone just kind of loves having him around, but he does eat all the cats. Like mm. it is a problem. But I love how much Michelle, Michelle Williams, by the way, I hope she got a much bigger paycheck in this movie because notoriously she didn't get a big one for the last one. Mm. Like, she is one of the great actors working today. <laughs> I, that is she, totally true. She's mm. one of the greats and she is completely underserved in these movies. But every single time she gets like a funny scene, she's so damn good. Mm. And she gets to just be really funny in this movie. I wish there had been more of her. Yeah, it would have been she, great um, to have seen more of her. Her, but. her, her character gets to, to gets to wear the glop in one scene, just yeah. like in the last movie. Um, there's a wonderful scene where she confronts Eddie with Venom inside of her, and uh, mm. they're both sort of using the same confession yeah. to confess different things to one another in the same scene. It's, it's actually it's a, it's a good bit of writing, cute, actually. Yeah, cute, scene, yeah. Uh, sweetly written scene. I like how she's like she's engaged to be married to this other guy, but mm. she also knows that she's totally got the hots for this alien goo and this other guy. Uh, and she talks about it with her fiancé, uh, and he's like super awkward about it. Did you ever see the movie Splendor, the Gregor Akeem film? I did. Uh, where Kathleen Robertson uh, starts dating uh, two different men at the same time. One okay. of them is Jonathan Shiak. Um and the other is uh, an actor whose name I can't remember uh, right, yeah. right now. But, I'll look um, it up, I guess. While you're describing, but uh, the, uh, she she finds that her relationships with both of these men are kind of advancing at about the same pace, and mm. so she's in the awkward position of having to choose one. She can pursue one or she can pursue the other. And because this is a Gregoraki film, she doesn't have to make that choice and ends up dating them both. And they live in a poly, like uh, a, a polycule. An actor named Matt Kiesler. Matt Kiesler. Uh, yeah, bo- didn't both. end up being a big deal, but yeah. he was also in Scream 3, uh, Rose Red, Waiting for Guffman. He was in some good stuff. Right. Uh, but this movie reminded me of Splendor. 
Yeah. And uh, by the end, by uh, the end of Splendor, uh, Kathleen Robertson has to choose between dating sort of a new straight laced guy or both of her old boyfriends. And uh, because it, it's typical sitcom stuff, it's like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not living with a slob. I'm living with two guys. And that's a lot to deal with it in, is. in a, like a roommate basis. Just there's so yeah. many. We, we have to worry about like what kind of groceries we're going to get for three. And that's something I'd never considered before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I'm seeing with the relationship between Eddie Venom and Michelle Williams. Yeah, it's it's, it's the roommate this. shit that gets yeah. in their way. It's having to share a living space when they're kind of uncomfortable, mm. like, expanding their boundaries. But once their boundaries are clear and once they realize that what's really important is that they really care for each other, that's the important thing in mm. the movie. And the movie, like... I mean, it basically concludes with a declaration of love. Like, it's really, mm. it's, it's so damn sweet. It's This, I, weird, I, weird, this weird movie about a black goo that is also a shark yeah. is, is a romance film at the end, end of the and day. I, and I'm, I'm telling you, I just, I can't get over how much I just had fun. It's no. funny, it's sweet. Mm. Uh, it, it's The plot is, again, not, not what we're here for, but it's at least cleaner than last time. Yeah. Where it was full of a bunch of like, oh, I don't really don't give a shit about this evil corporation. That and has nothing to do with it. At least here, it's all character centered. Do something you know? with the another symbiote, etc., etc. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, mm. uh, and ended up being an odd film, but a very, very fun one. And I'm glad you liked it too. Mm. Uh, let's talk about. Speaking of odd films, uh, let's talk about Titan. Titan. Uh, Titan is the latest latest film from uh, Julia Ducourneau, who did a film called Raw a few years ago, mm-hmm, which and, is a uh, cannibal horror movie, yeah. and it's really good. Yeah, it's about a that Raw is about a, a medical student who goes to veterinary school, uh, and uh, during initiation is like covered in blood and forced to eat like a rabbit liver. And, and she'd uh, been a vegetarian or a yeah, vegan so, her whole life, so she'd never had any meat, and now all of a sudden she becomes when, obsessed with it. She she yeah she tries it and she becomes obsessed with eating meat and uh, starts following these really rather dark impulses that are leading her to uh, consume human flesh. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty awesome. There's a lot of similarities in Titan. Mm-hmm. Um, the main character uh, is we see it in a flashback at the beginning of the movie how she um, resenting resenting her father from the back seat of the car while they're driving mm-hmm. is kicking the back of his seat. He. Uh, it turns to admonish her and immediately gets in a wreck. Uh, mm-hmm. And she, she hits her head and extremely she hits, hard. She hits her head hard. We see that uh, she has a spiral scar on the side of her head. Mm-hmm. And we see uh, as a she titanium, leaves, like, there's a titanium plate her covering yeah. her brain. And uh, immediately following the procedure, she walks back out to the car that injured her and gives it a hug. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the intro to this movie. She uh, gives the car, mm-hmm. but not her dad. Uh, years go by she is now a successful model she's reasonably Mm -hmm. famous people ask her for autographs and she's working at a car show and um, how far do we go with the plot on this uh, we should probably how far do we go like what do we explain because there's definitely stuff that like you don't want to ruin well there's two there's two in this movie but it's weird and full of bizarre incident there's there's two halves to this movie the first is really kind of like wild and violent and the second is a little bit more introspective uh in the first half she uh is beset by uh lovers and stalkers of various genders and she um after uh, having an evening uh alone with the car where from she, this car show from this car working. show yeah she climbs into the car and has a sex experience she has sex with the car yeah and it impregnates her. Yeah. 
and uh, immediately and then following it gets this, weird and immediately <laughs> following the and, and she, like she she begins like leaking oil out of her body like yeah. it's, her body's being transformed by this sex act with the car i'm gonna take it from here uh and then <laughs> I'll, I'll i'm gonna be as vague as i can while still right. giving you the gist uh violent incidents ensue in the first half of the movie and in the second half of the movie she winds up living uh, with an older man hmm. under another identity, and their relationship is on some level parental and on hmm. some level not, and it's really fucking weird. And if it wasn't for the fact hmm. that she was still pregnant with the car, you'd almost wonder if it was a different film. Yeah, um, it's it's significant to note that when she goes under undercover under this other identity, she goes undercover as this man's missing son. She finds that she looks a little bit like this missing man. Uh, she in, in a really this kid has been scene, missing for like ten years. Yeah, so they don't so, know what this kid would grow up to look yeah, like. She, yeah, she sees like a, a computer a composite of what he might look like. Looks a little um, bit like her. Yeah. She in a really painful scene. She mutilates herself in a bathroom uh, mm-hmm. to look a little bit more like him, like, like, like breaking her, her nose, face yeah. against things. And uh, and yeah, she's picked up by this guy, and it's it's almost like that. Uh, the Armin Tamsarian thing from The Simpsons, where yeah. it's like we know this is not real, but, but this is emotionally we're gonna, what we're we gonna need. pretend. Yeah. I was thinking she, uh, about Armin Tamsarian yeah. the whole time. And in that second half, uh, also worth noting is this man who takes her in, a guy named Vincent. Um, he is he's juicing. He's uh, addicted to uh, steroids, mm. and he is a firefighter, and he lives with all these other dudes. And it's all very masculine. And so what we're doing here is using uh, sexuality, female wrath, uh, a blurring and a blurring of gender lines to really deconstruct traditional masculine gender roles. Uh, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, a woman is pregnant with a, possibly a, a car. possibly a car, yeah, and and is leaking oil out of her body. Well, uh, like her relationship again, her relationship with men mm. in the beginning of the movie is defined by apathy, violence, mm. or. Uh, being attracted to a car instead of men. Mm. Uh, Decoding Titan is something that I think people are going to be doing for a while. Yeah, well, there's a lot lot to to dig out of this, and I really appreciate the way that Julia Ducarneau has just blended it all together in this wonderful Mm. arthouse freakout movie. She is not concerned with explaining anything, really. Mm. Um, But what she is... What what makes the movie work, because there's, there's definitely... This movie rides a thin line. Like there's a there's a line this movie could have easily crossed into camp, uh-huh. uh, into which pure is pure horror. I think is, a lot of people were wanting. It's like yeah. oh, it's the, the the movie where she she fucks a car. It's like yeah, well, that's, no, that's an not, element of it, but that's not what this movie is about. It's, it's not wacky. It's not like so bad. It's good. It's not uh, uh, some sort of shout out to schlock. Hmm. Um, all of these the films, and we haven't even talked about all of them. Like there are major plot points we we haven't even discussed, and we want to let you have those. Um, but uh, all of these elements are rendered with absolute emotional purity. Mm. The emotional core of these characters and their journey is real, mm. even if the things that happen around them are. Bizarre enough that we don't even know how literally we're supposed to take them. Yeah. Uh, and that is what gives this movie an enormous amount of power. And I'm reminded of some of the, maybe the less popular works of David Lynch, something like Lost Highway, mm. where it's kind of this surreal mystery. 
And it makes sense, but only if you have the clues and the movie isn't concerned with giving them to you. So what you have here is is a narrative that is bizarre, has its own sense of logic, isn't concerned with telling you that logic, but is absolutely enthralling enough that you want to know more and you're thinking about it. And I've been thinking about Titan ever since I've watched it. And I'm looking forward to reading more and more people like, presenting their own thoughts on this because mm. I think it's going to be really illuminating for me. I mean, it's definitely it's about gender roles. That's definitely a major part of it. But for me, I'm looking at this as a very modern approach to where and what is love. Mm. You know, people who want love don't know where to find it. Don't know how to respond to it. They've been hurt. Yeah. And they'll take it wherever they can get as long as it feels real to them mm. even if they know it's a lie there's something well, that's really just is, uh, haunted by it and i find that very arresting I, I would i would love to talk to julia ducournau about david cronenberg's movie crash mm. uh, or just david cronenberg in general because yeah. um they both uh, at, at least to date had seemed to be making movies about similar subjects that mm. is people who are unable to stop themselves from following their impulses even if those impulses don't really exist in any kind of real world yeah uh, raw is about that appetite and about how one is driven to follow that and raw plays more like a horror movie because it's mm. cannibalism and there's a lot of blood and gore yeah. but and, uh, it's, and it's easier to wrap your head around raw as a metaphor for things like uh, mm. addiction or yeah, or mm. uh, eating disorders or even um uh, sort of um uh, what, what do you call it like uh, uh what, do you, what do you call an illness mm. that is passed from generation to generation it's uh the hereditary hereditary yeah, yeah. Could even be hereditary yeah. illness you know that kind of thing it's, yeah that's, these, that's, these that's are the anxieties yeah. that can totally poke up and raw and it's easy to connect that to reality even though the movie is very surreal yeah, and I've, i feel like uh titan is uh, also hmm. about uh, somebody who has iconoclastic appetites yeah uh and this character's appetites doesn't run toward the human. There's nothing in humanity that has ever appealed to this person. Yeah. Uh, and every attempt they've yeah. ever made to, to try mm. has gone badly enough that yeah, her, it hurts them very, very badly. And her, they feel the need to lash out. Credit where credit's due. The actress is named um, Ag- Agatha Roussel and, uh, yeah. or uh, Agatha perhaps um, Roussel. And they're amazing. She, she is amazing so, so good in presenting somebody who, is cold to what the world is offering her, but still has a drive towards something that is clearly in her heart, even though she doesn't really know what that is yet. She doesn't seem to understand what Mm. kind of connection. She understands attraction, Mm. but connection has been always kept at at an arm's length. And and so that that is alien to her. The means through which she's connecting to the rest of the world is through this mechanical device, through a car at Mm. first, and then through something... something human and male secondly yeah and how it's essentially how she's essentially going to eventually reconnect with humanity but it has to be on her terms this isn't about finding a spot in the world this Mm -hmm. is about creating her own world uh and julia de carnau has given us a complete alien world that is a fascinating place for us Mm -hmm. to explore where she can find that home it is so hard to find a movie i mean Mm -hmm. we we can connect it like i compared a little bit to lost highway you compared a little bit to crash but Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, this is a movie that is difficult to find a direct link to like a, a cinematic past. And I think yeah, that's yeah. something that's incredibly exciting to see. Mm. Uh, again, whether this alienates you or enthralls you or anywhere in between. And there was yeah, two polar opposites. Like, 
you're going to see in this movie, this very fucked up movie, uh, something that isn't happening right now in other films. Yeah. And that in and of itself is so exciting that even if the rest of the movie wasn't so like emotionally harrowing oh, oh, and, yeah, and, it's, it's and a, warm in a weird way, I, even if that wasn't there, this would be fascinating and probably worth recommending just purely on the fact that it's new. Mm. But it's new and yet it feels deeply connected to humanity. Maybe just it's using language like narrative language, mm. cinematic language that I don't think has been codified yeah, it's, yet. It's sometimes a, it, it's a little alien. It's going to be a really opaque to a lot of people. It's, yeah, it's definitely. Not, it's designed mm. to be super off-putting. Yeah, so it's, um, it's, it's, if you're if you're if your tastes skew mainstream, yeah. you might not have any <laughs> idea what to do with this movie. And I'm pretty sure Julia DeCarnot is fine with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, it, it's one of those things that, though, is, is going to warrant a lot of discussion, a lot of dissection, and even after a lot of analysis, you may still not like it. Yeah. Uh, but I appreciate that it has a clear idea about whatever its idea is. Uh, I know <laughs> that's, 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 that's like... That's, that's the, the Rotten Tomatoes quote. Yeah, right? I guess so. <laughs> it's a clear idea about whatever, whatever it's it is about. Because it, it is, it, it's it's a little, it's not straightforward. No. And it's it's not like uh, something like Us, where it just has a lot of ideas that are just sort of splaying everywhere. Yeah, or like a mythology that doesn't quite make sense yeah, if you think yeah, about yeah. too hard. This isn't a mythology movie. Mm-hmm. This is a movie... Again, it's 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 definitely got some surrealism in it. I mean, I, I hate to just throw that word around because I know a lot of filmmakers don't even like it, but it's hard to be like semi surreal. It kind of defeats the purpose. But again, I think if you're if you're a fan of like the more obtuse David Lynch or the more obtuse David Cronenberg, mm. you definitely need to see this. Yeah, it's a different yeah, thing, sure. but that's definitely like a good litmus test for whether or not this will engage you. Uh, and if that sounds exciting and you're not familiar with that kind of cinema, please go check it out. You're gonna see something really weird. Uh, it's going to be very challenging and things might be very, very exciting for you. I hope you enjoy trying to crack it open and see like where, what, where this leads. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, this is definitely a movie that's not going to be for every, every audience member. Uh, it is for us apparently. <laughs> uh, I'm really, really glad I saw it. So uh, I, 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 I this really, is a very interesting film. I really dug it and I'm waiting just to see how, how well it sort of per- uh, stews yeah. in, in my brain. All right, you had a busier week than I did, so you mm-hmm. saw several films I did not see. While we were talking about uh, sort of uh, bizarre family dynamics, why don't you tell me about <laughs> the Adams's family? Too and anything to bridge these films. Uh, Look, I got to come up. With we're going to go from Titan to the Adams family too. Um, yeah. This is the sequel to the animated movie. Yeah, there was a 2019 animated film of the Adams family, which I did not like mm. um, because the Adam the uh, animated Adams family uh, was about how we got to, we were introduced to the Adams family mm-hmm. based on the famous New Yorker comics uh, written and drawn by Charles Adams. I will say this: I think the casting for Gomez and Morticia was pretty spot on. He had Oscar mm-hmm. Isaac and Charlize Theron. Mm. That's good, even in live action. That's good yeah. casting. R- uh, really good casting. Uh, Chloe Moretz plays Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who played Pugsley. Uh, Someone. Uh, One of the kids from Stranger Things, probably. Yeah, uh, his name is Javen Walton. Um, uh, no idea. Uh, yeah, I like the casting and I loved the character design. I think they made them look uh, like sort of updated like the, like, them, but like the a cartoons. lot like the old Charles Adams cartoons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they looked like kind of monstrous and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Morticia was uh, positively skeletal and Gomez looks like a guy who has taken a few swords to his torso. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, my favorite design was actually on Pugsley because he looks like a vicious little shit who has firecrackers. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. And, and that was his character. He liked, liked yeah. explosives. And he was really kind of a, a, a ne'er-do-well. Yeah. And what I've always liked about the Adams Family, from the comics all the way through the Barry Sonnenfeld films, I, I didn't see some of the uh, straight-to-video ones or the, the, the Broadway there w- musical. There was a there was a straight-to-video sequel to the Barry Sonnenfeld films starring Tim Curry and Daryl Hannah, which isn't as good as the films, but is pretty good and mm-hmm. is worth seeing if you ever get a chance. I didn't see. There was a couple attempts to reboot it on television uh, with that cast. I think some of it. Oh, yeah. Um, and th- but you've seen the uh, the John Aston. Uh, uh, Carolyn uh, uh, Jones TV series, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen, that one's I've great as well. Seen the 60s yeah. TV series. Uh, not all of it, but I've, you know, no, no, I, I, I watched, a, lot, I watched yeah. a lot as a kid. Yeah. Um, uh, Holds up pretty it, good. W- way better than the Munsters, as far as I'm concerned. The, the only way the Munsters excels is the theme song. The, the, the theme song to the Munsters is on a And the Adam's Family still is a good theme song, yeah, though. So it's, it's still a written, net positive. Written, written yeah. by Vic Mizzy has, yeah. wrote that theme song. Uh, but what I always liked about the Adam's Family was that they... Uh, relished in their own uh, strange interests. Our values were simply a mirror to theirs. We value life and togetherness. They value murder and killing people. Yeah. But through that, they found a kind of dark, macabre affection for one another yeah. and they actually cared very deeply about one another. Their domesticity yeah. is actually very positive. Like, I, I remember just the pilot for the original Adam Family. I think it was the pilot. Yeah. Uh, for the Adam Family TV series was uh, Gomez and Morticia found out that they were supposed to be sending Wednesday and Pugsley to school. Yeah. Like someone stopped by. They're like, oh, oh, well, take them. <laughs> go yeah. for it. And so they go to school and then Wednesday is, comes home crying because they read some story about a white knight yeah. killing a dragon. And she's like, that poor dragon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they go to talk to the teacher about, you're telling stories about killing defenseless dragons? <laughs> and that just illustrates, I mean, it's, it's an obvious joke, but it illustrates the, di- the dichotomy right there. They're yeah. the anti-family in a lot of ways, but right. they're also they, really love each other. And, and the, the Barry Sonnenfeld films, both of them are really quite good. Yeah. Uh, about and that's very much about how they uh, value death. Yeah, but they love each other for it. Uh, the opening scene of the first Adams Family movie is uh, Christmas carolers, and we pan up the building, and the Adams Family is pouring hot lead on them. They're gonna die. <laughs> They're gonna die. They they yeah. kill and. But they're so. Here's the other thing I think is really cool about uh, the, the '60s show in particular. But I think the Sonnenfeld films pushed it to like to, to ten. Uh-huh. There's so many people who think that in order for romantic relationships to be uh, effective, they need to be like pre-married. Marriage is the end of the story. Or their marriage needs to be full of bickering. That mo- those movies and the show prove that you can be mm. super into your spouse, mm. totally in love and lust with them forever, and your stories can still be interesting. Yeah, the, uh, and that's a great lesson to learn. John Aston was always kissing all over Morticia, yeah. and uh, there's a, a a fetishistic element that Barry Sonnenfeld brought to the yeah. movies, which uh. he's, he's clearly taken from like Tim Burton. It was all in that. Same, oh yeah, that was very popular. same camp at the time. He made it his own. They made an animated film, uh, which is you know, it's rated PG. It's for kids, mm-hmm. and uh, so they they have to dial back on the death a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the theme of that movie was they they move into their mansion. It's sort of an origin story, and yeah. uh, while they're in their mansion. Uh, sort of like a prefab town forms in uh, the base of the mountain where they live. And their fan- their mansion and has been like surrounded by fog for yeah, so long so they don't the, notice and yeah, no one the, in town notices they're there. The fog blows away. They see the town for the first time and they're fascinated in sort of like a biological way. It's like, yeah. what are these creatures? Let's go check it out. And, yeah. and they move down and... Uh, 
there's a, a wonderful scene where they're just sort of encountering the real world for the first time and they don't understand it. Yeah. Um, I love those scenes, but ultimately it starts to be about how, wait a minute, these creatures that we live nearby are actually very sensitive creatures and we need to be open to that. In fact, let's try to be like them. Let's be good neighbors. Mm-hmm. And ultimately at the end of the film, they became accepted. Yeah. Good neighbor, accepted parts of the neighborhood. That's not what the Adams family is. The Adams family should not mm. be accepted. They should I, murder people. Well, I yes. will say that. I, <laughs> they no, no, they poured hot lead on Christmas carolers. I'm, I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you. I think the big problem with that movie mm. is that the actual plot of the film, once the plot kicks in, uh. is stupid and terrible. And it's about like yeah, their house yeah. being renovated for a reality TV show. And it has nothing oh, to do with anything. It has nothing to do with anything. It has nothing to do with them. It's something that happens to them. It's not something mm. that they do. And I think that's the real tragedy of it. The Adams family can totally drive their own story, uh, but you're right. Making them less outsidery uh, is, you know, I can kind see. Of ang- I can see why, what they are. I can see why it's kind of like My Little Pony. Like I see where you, why you thought that would be an unassailable message, but I don't think it fits the material. Hmm. And it's the same thing with Adams family, but in a different way. It's like hmm. having them just be accepted ruins the fact that they are permanently outsiders, which is the appeal because we all hmm. feel that way sometimes. Well, and, and you know? sometimes we like that. Sometimes yeah. we want to be on the outside. Some people, sometimes it's exciting to be on the outside. Sometimes the mainstream yeah. is bad. <laughs> the mainstream I, sucks. So yeah. let's go on the outside with these people who live in a haunted mansion and have a ghost living in their I mansion. I would have killed to live in the Adams Family house. Like, when I was a kid, I fantasized about living in the Adams I'd, Family I'd like house. to live in the house, but if, like, Pugsley and Wednesday are around, I'm going to die. Oh, we're all going to die. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, I, are they cartoons? Because they, she kills Pugsley a few times in those and, and, movies. And he's okay afterwards. So clearly it's fine. They're like, cartoons. She's, They're cartoons. Yeah, she's so strapping him into logic. an electric chair. We're going to play a game. It's called, Is There a God? And then, yeah. she, and then, and and then, then she electrocutes him. And Morticia lets it happen. It's like, okay, come on, come on, stop playing. It's like, oh, come on. All right, make it quick. And then they kill Pugsley. Yeah. Like, they're cartoons. Clearly you would yeah, live. Uh, you would live and you would be fine. And pain yeah, don't hurt, this, apparently. Uh, the Adams Family 2 gets that part right again. They're, oh, that's nice. they're They're freaks again, and I like that. Um, the plot is ch- a little childish and a little dumb, and it's still suffused with way too many, like, pop culture references and hip <sighs> stuff and music, what's, music what's cues the, what's from What's the obvious. worst music cue? Um... What's the worst needle drop? Uh, I will survive. They do. I will survive. Oh, uh, God, that's tacky. Uh, Wednesday and Lurch find themselves in a biker bar in one scene. And in order to placate the bikers, just like in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, uh they they do a pop song. And it turns out it turns out Lurch can sing this like falsetto version of I will survive. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's pretty insufferable. But Uh, but at least they're monsters. We're just watching the replacements. (laughs) <laughs> we were just watching the, it. They just did the yeah, same the, thing. The, uh, the opening scene is uh, Wednesday at the school science fair. And she's figured out a way to extract uh, intelligence DNA from a squid and put it into Uncle Fester. <laughs> so, so very slowly over the course of the entire film, Uncle Fester is mutating into an octopus. That's that, funny. That's pretty, like at one point. That's he, funny. Okay, I'm with he's, that. He's got a tentacle. Oh, how did I, where'd that one come from? <laughs> where are we driving? We're driving. We're driving by water. <laughs> he dives in. He starts and like. Right, that's kind of funny. Like splats ink and out. It's easier from to do in animation. So you yeah, can really yeah. go nuts. That's cool. Uh, the plot of the uh, but she uh, is really upset when it turns out uh, because this is uh, the way this this uh, contest is set up. Everybody gets a trophy, and she's really upset about that. It's like, no, I extracted DNA. I deserve a trophy. I deserve the trophy. Yeah. Yeah. But she does uh, get the... 
attention of a, a Steve Jobs-like tech magnate who says, why don't you come and intern at my place? Uh, Gomez has seen that his daughter is sort of drifting away from them in some abstract way. She's getting a little older. She's an adolescent. Yeah. They had a cute so, bit of that in the first movie where she was like hanging out with like normal kids and she wore a oh, pink barrette. Yeah, they're and like, Morticia what, was, what is that? Morticia was like, you, you know pink is a gateway color. That's right. <laughs> She comes in with a red balloon. I don't, what is that a thing? Usually there's a killer clown attached to these. Uh, but yeah, they're still concerned that Wednesday is drifting away. So Gomez comes up with the idea, we'll go on a road trip. We're going to go across. Yeah, Adam's a, family road trip. All right. Adam's family road trip. It's fine. And, low uh, hanging fruit, but it, whatever. It could work. It's totally functional for a kid's movie, it's, especially with the Adams family. And, yeah, so they're, they're, and it, yeah. keeps, it keeps them in like, especially after you establish that they're accepted in their town. Hmm. This keeps them weird. Yeah, it gets, exactly. Gets with them in exactly. situations where they're the outsider. Yeah, there's that a, works. there's a really fine. great uh, yeah. line of dialogue from Morticia where she says, well, like, why don't we go across the country and we'll explore this nation's dark secrets? <laughs> and uh, Morticia says, well, you know, as as dark secrets go, this country isn't bad. <laughs> Good they, they don't delve in very deeply with that. No, but, there's, you know, that they, can get real dark like, real, real like, fast just the, by the, having a casual conversation. The, but, so they go to places like Death Valley, you know, not not so dark as all that. They're not going to engage with some of the really horrible, no, but, horrible past that we've... But there, there's some yeah. really wonderful exchanges. Uh, Gomez pulls Morticia, or, uh, or Wednesday pulls Morticia aside at one point and says, I know why father's behaving this way. He's dying. Don't tell Pugsley. He'd rather be surprised. <laughs> It's a good line. That's a good answer. Like, like, oh, but, but darling, I was trying to tell, if you're going to ask my per, my permission to take a lover, you may. <laughs> so, like, that's good dialogue. That's, that's good that's Adam's good. family-like okay. dialogue. And there's so, enough bits uh, like, like that to sort of buoy this along uh, to be pleasant enough. Okay. Uh, and is it, is, has it hit Hotel Transylvania good yet? No, well, Hotel Transylvania is just manic. Yeah, uh, you know th- that's. Th- but it's consistent. Is uh, my point. The first yeah. three in particular, like consistently, I, was there fourth? Was um, there fourth? I think a fourth one is coming. Okay, but Hotel fourth, Transylvania yeah, yeah. one through three are you know they're not all as good as each other, but they're all consistently funny, mm. and you can have a really good time with any of them. Yeah, of is good... it is it like that level of good, regardless of whether or not it's well, his man? No, because I think they're afraid to go full bore monster with the Adams mm. family in these movies. They're trying to make it a little too friendly and hip. Uh, Gomez. Uh, like his biggest crime is that he tells dad jokes. You know, he's oh. he's not as mon- like Oscar Isaac is really doing what he can with the material, but he's given some pretty limp jokes to tell. Uh, oh, there's a subplot with Pugsley. Uh, Pugsley uh, wants to start talking to girls for the first time, but doesn't know how. So of course he goes to Uncle Fester, uh-huh. who is slowly turning into a squid. Yeah. And also Wednesday happens to have a voodoo doll of Pugsley, so she's always like breaking its neck at inopportune moments. Okay. So some cute mo- moments with Pugsley like floating through the air and slamming his face against stuff. Whimsical. Hmm. Whimsical. Does so Lurch have a subplot? No. Oh, oh and uh, and another subplot. They're on the run from the antagonist of the film, played by Wallace Shawn, who has evidence that Wednesday might not be their blood relative. Ooh. So there's so a, like a they little kidnapped her or something. Is the theory? Well, she was switched at the hospital with oh, another child, okay. and uh, when when she was newly born. Well, go get that money, Wallace Shawn. Yeah, you go I, get I, that money. You deserve I, that money. This doesn't sit well with me though, because in the the beginning of the last Adams Family movie, uh, Morticia was putting on some makeup, which was made of the ashes of her dead father. Yeah, 
I was kind of hoping that the Adams family children would have been born in a sewer or yeah. something, or you know, well, a mad scientist's it. lab. It's weird to think of them going to a going hospital. to like a hospital. Yeah, like they don't know what this town is, but they they went to a hospital, hospital like yeah. seven years ago for however long. That, that doesn't quite about, track, about does thir- it? Thirteen years ago, whenever that doesn't Wednesday track at all. Born. Yeah. So yeah. 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 But yeah, she was switched in the hospital right. at birth, and now uh, there's some been questions great to her, her, would have been funny her biological is, here, lineage. Here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Because it's a kid's movie. Mm. You do a flashback, and it shows that she was like left, but instead of by stork, but like by like giant bat. Or a giant raven or <laughs> like something. Like a giant yeah. raven like dropped her down the mm. thing, and it's like maybe the giant raven made a mistake. You know or, they or are. She, or she was switched at birth, but you know, like she was... The switch was like a like a monster werewolf or something like in a monster yeah. hospital. There you go. Uh, <laughs> monster hospital sounds like a good thing. I just want to see that in general. Um, <laughs> so it sounds like a mixed bag. It's it's a bit of a mixed bag. It's it's but it's better hu- than the last one. The humor is really bland. What it gets correct is the spirit of the Adams family and that they're weirdo death obsessed outsiders. And I, I at least can appreciate that. All right, that sounds good. Well, uh, and you, there was another uh, movie based on a TV series. Uh, and this is one I didn't see the many saints of Newark, and okay. I didn't because, well, here's the deal. Normally, this wouldn't stop me, but I wasn't super gung ho about it because I've never really seen The Sopranos. Yeah, uh, I remember when The Sopranos came out, Which and two thousand one around there, yeah, around nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Same, it was the same year as Analyze This. Uh, which has a very similar premise, mm-hmm. or at least at, on the surface, of a, a mafioso going to seek therapy. Uh, the, yeah. Analyze This was for, obviously the first aired in January of '99 and ran yeah. for six seasons. I think Analyze This was later that year, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I saw. I remember watching the pilot when it came out, and you know, I'm from an Italian American family. We're not like super Italian American, but we have our culture. And I watched it, and I was like. Yeah, I've seen better. And so I just didn't keep watching it. And then it was, there was a Saturday Night Live sketch, which I've been trying to track down. It's a little, like, they're, they're not all online. At least not officially. Uh, but they did a Saturday Night Live sketch, which was a parody of the many commercials that were running for The Sopranos. Because The Sopranos had these commercials that were full of critics' quotes. But the critics' quotes were not just, it's the best new show of the year. Um. The critics' quotes were like, weirdly hyperbolically fawning. <laughs> and the one I'll always remember from the SNL bit, which sounds like something I'd actually read, which was, uh, I am afraid to close my eyes when I watch The Sopranos <laughs> in case when I open them again, The Sopranos will not be there. It's like, people were really huge in The Sopranos. And again, maybe yeah. maybe I was having a bad day and I need to see The Sopranos. I know a lot of people love The Sopranos. Maybe one day I'll give it another chance from the beginning again. And maybe I'll love it. Maybe I won't. Whatever. Long and short of it is, I haven't seen this really long show, and now there's a prequel movie to it, and I felt like, if I have time, I'll get to it, but if I don't, I'm not going to feel bad, because I really didn't have, like, I really wasn't equipped to, like, be what the audience this movie expected of me, which is Mm. someone who has seen The Sopranos, which is a lot of people. Yeah. Uh... I suspect you have also not seen The Sopranos. I've not seen one frame of The Sopranos. Awesome. Um, so this is going to uh, be an was, interesting it, review. It was on HBO. I didn't have cable, and I just haven't had the wherewithal to catch up with The Sopranos yeah. uh, and on home video or any of the streaming services. Mm. I have a theory that the film needs to function on its own. Uh, sure. you know, that's maybe a bit strict, but uh, if 
if I need six seasons worth of television to get any kind of understanding out of this film, then the film failed. Well, uh, yeah, that's a, but you're making the assumption that all movies must stand alone, and that's not I, I, I that understand. is that is a that is a somewhat old fashioned approach to it, especially now that we have these massive mixed media types of stories. Yeah, like the, the Avengers series has, has sort of deconstructed that, and that's. Yeah. Because those those are movies, but they function like a television series. Yeah, and sometimes you'll get like yeah. a movie, and it's like whether you need the show or not, mm. it's just like another episode of the show. That's yeah. how I feel about yeah. the X Files movies. Mm. They're just not very good episodes of the show. Yeah. I mean, they're okay, yeah. but like, eh. or uh, what was another one? There was uh, the Veronica Mars. movie. I was going to bring up the Veronica Mars. That movie. movie does not work on its own as a no, movie, it, and it's not a particularly good episode of the show either. Well, the Veronica Mars movie was crowdfunded, and uh, mm-hmm. as such, it was nothing but references to the show. And yeah, you know, it, was for, it was quote for the fans. Yeah, for it, it was specifically designed to get people who are really, really familiar with a lot of details of the show uh, get their hearts racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel this something as similar is going on with the many scenes of Newark because I don't know what's going on in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Because nothing's happening in this movie. Uh, rather, there's a lot happening, but it's not really building to much of anything. Uh, after a while, you realize that it's sort of accruing, but there's no plot as it were it there's doesn't no, stand yeah. alone uh, in a meaningful way there's a few saying. main characters that we're following the main of which is uh, a character named dicky multisani multisanti mm-hmm. excuse me multisanti many saints many saints of newark oh um, yeah that's 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 the character's name is multisanti the multisantis of newark um Dicky Multisanti uh, is played by Alessandro Nivola, and he's really good uh, in everything, but in this as well. I'm glad we're having a bit of a Nivola sense. Yeah, he, he's, he, he's really talented. He got my attention way back uh, in Face Off in 1997. I think this might have been his first movie, and then, uh, or at least it was around that time. He was in a movie called uh, The Art of Self-Defense a few years ago I with Jesse Eisenberg. Too, yeah. He should have been Oscar nominated for mm. that movie. That is a great, weird, mean comedy slash drama performance mm-hmm. that he's really, really great in. See that movie. It's it's dark, but it's good. But uh, his arc is that um, his father, played by Ray Liotta, uh, has just come back to America with a new wife. She's played by uh, a new actress named Mikola De Rossi. She's really great in this movie as well. Mm. But he kind of mistreats her and talks down to her. She doesn't speak English at first. Uh, and... Uh, Dicky and Ray Liotta end up having it out, and he kills Ray Liotta. And <coughs> and des- <laughs> excuse me. And he decides to go to his father's brother, who is also played by Ray Liotta. They're twin brothers. Oh, okay. Uh, who's in prison for killing a made man? So he's in prison. Also for played by Ray Liotta. The prison is played by Ray Liotta. <laughs> Ray Liotta head. Yeah. Now Ray Liotta has made a, a long part of his career as being. The guy that women have to stoop to sleep with yeah. in order to get something done. He's played that that kind of ever, a role ever in a bunch since of different he hit, movies. Like, middle age, that's no, been no. what he's like. His early stuff, like he was he was briefly a leading man, a little bit more. Yeah, he was, he was very handsome. Roles. Very handsome. Did they play like Frank Sinatra in that one uh, HBO oh. movie with Don Cheadle? I didn't see it, but yeah, I think it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. It was just called The Rat Pack, if I recall. Uh, yeah, thing. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Really, a good actor. He, he good plays actor. the two the two actor the two roles very well, yeah. uh, and he ends up taking uh, his father's wife sort of under his wing and has an affair with her that lasts for years. And he ends up uh, like paying for apartments for her, and they have actually have a very warm relationship. We hardly ever see his wife. Mm. Uh, we also follow Leslie Odom Jr. 
uh, as a um, man who's trying to break into organized crime. Mm. And he has, uh, he's sort of amassing, uh, I guess, an army of mob followers. I'm not sure exactly what you call it. A mob of his own. Mm. And he intends to undercut the local mafia, who is the Soprano family. Ah. Uh, who are just sort of small-time hoods. Uh, the, this movie starts in sort of the late 60s and runs through, like, the mid-70s. Okay. Uh, and observing a lot of this is uh, the young Anthony Soprano, who is played uh, as an adolescent by Michael Gandolfini, who is... Uh, James uh, Gandolfini's son? Uh, his grandson? son, yeah. Okay, yeah. James Gandolfini, the late James Gandolfini. I, I saw the trailer son. for this, and I was like, hmm. God damn. Damn, they got a kid who looks a lot like James Gandolfini. Yeah, they, now I get they it. Got okay, James it Gandolfini's yeah, son. Yeah, yeah it looks good. Uh, and he, uh, we follow, we spend a lot of time with him, even though his story isn't anything. He's just a young troublemaker. He's like mm. running gambling at school, and he's stealing ice cream trucks. And he, did, he does win that pod race against the yeah. bulba. Mm. He 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 tries spinning the truck. That's a good trick. <laughs> It's a prequel and, joke. Yeah, it's and and joke. there's and there's a lot of other characters besides uh, Joey Coco Diaz is in this. There you go. Um, I've met Joey Coco Diaz. He is a sweetheart. Hmm. I've seen him do stand up. He's hilarious. He and he he looks like he belongs in an Italian gangster movie or is like <laughs> a guy on a subway. And in fact, uh, he was a guy on a subway in Spider Man Two. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The, 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 the scene where, where Spider Man's unconscious yeah. and like a, somebody's going after him, and yeah. Joey Coco Diaz stands up and says, "You got to go through me, and you can't get through Joey Coco Diaz." Well, Doctor Octopus actually got through him just fine. He uses his octopus arms and went right. It was the uh, thought that counts. Fine. It was the thought that counts. <laughs> it was the thought that counts. Thank you, Joey Coco Diaz, Spider Man. Thanks. But, but we have all of these things, and it feels like we're we're setting up something, but there's no big change. There's no big story going on here. It's all leading towards some kind of big conflagration, and it's it's not until the film's over that you realize, wait a minute, that conflagration is six seasons of television. Yeah. This is sort of like a, a little mini spin-off of some characters that I assume have been alluded to in the past. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these characters die over the course of these, this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, now we get to finally see, or I guess fans of the show finally get to see in action. Uh, when we're sort of setting them up and having them be their own complete characters, the actors are doing their darndest to bring a lot of personality to these scenes, but they're just sort of meandering along. They're, nothing's cohering as a film ought to. I'm waiting for the story to begin. And like I said, it, it accumulates. It's over two hours in length and it just sort of accumulates and accumulates. And then it gets to the very end and he says, and, and then I'm going to, and then I became Tony Soprano of the Sopranos. Oh, uh, the premise of the Sopranos is, uh, from what I understand, a gangster in therapy. That's one of the, the main, uh, that's, that's setups. That's and, the structure and it's, of and it's, it. Yeah. Is it Lorraine Bracco who plays yeah. the therapist in the show? Okay. I, I know a detail about it. Um, <laughs> There's a, a, a rather touching scene in this film where uh, a young Tony Soprano's guidance counselor is having a talk with his mother, is played by Vera Farmiga. And yeah. it's about how sort of sharing emotions is actually kind of a watershed moment for them, even though at that point he's an adolescent and doesn't really care about sharing his feelings and in doing so isn't really going to help him. But the mom has a touching moment where she realizes, oh, she actually does have some good memories of her ne'er-do-well son. Hmm. It's a lot of yelling. It's a lot, no, of, no. lot, of, un- lot of unexpected murder. It's like somebody's just sort of talking and their head explodes. What, 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 in your, your mind, I'm curious about mm. this, because there's, there's more than there used to be, uh-huh. but there's still not the norm. Movie prequels uh-huh. uh, have an interesting uphill battle because 
they lead to something that theoretically at least the audience already knows about. Yeah. It's a bit of a foregone conclusion. And you have two choices. Mm. You can try to make it so that it turns out the story you knew is not the story you knew. Right. And there's something, there's a whole bunch yeah. of surprises here. Yeah, you rewrite history a little yeah, bit. Or, yeah, or there were unreliable narrators or whatever. Um, or it, it, it there's an element of inevitability to it. You might have known exactly how it happened, but yeah. this is going to happen. And my, I think my favorite example of that is Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, yeah. where well, you're leading up a- to a horrible murder and you're powerless to stop it. You know what's going to happen mm. and you just have to watch it inexorably march towards doom. Yeah. The, I was going to bring up Twin Peaks Firewalk with me because th- this is a great way of showing the events before the events of the show while also grandly expanding the mysteries. <clears throat> also, Twin Peaks is such a mysterious show that if you are wandering into Firewalk with me and you have no connection to some of the symbolism or like, why is the letter T under Teresa Banks fingernail? Yeah. Uh, that just sort of adds to the mystery of the film. It actually yeah. makes the whole... It adds to the texture of the movie, not knowing what the show was. I actually saw the movie before I saw any of the TV show. Mm. And I love the movie. <laughs> I loved it the first time I saw it. Uh, there's a way to do a prequel where you expand on the ideas as a sequel would. Yeah. Uh, this may not be the best example, but I think it functions. Joker. Okay. It's the origin story of the Joker. Yeah. We get to know a little bit more about that character's world mm-hmm. before we knew him as a Batman villain. Yeah. Uh, and that that's a weird one because it's not a prequel to a Joker movie that we know. It's yeah, not Jack but, Nicholson's Joker, Heath Ledger's Joker, but mm. we're ultimately familiar with the concept. Yeah, and you can kind of squint yeah. and connect it to whatever Joker story mm. you want. Yeah. Uh, one that I think functions very well, I know this is not a widely beloved film, but Ridley Scott's Prometheus. Okay. Uh, which I'm not is, a fan, but yeah, I know you uh, like it. Which I think gives us a few more hints as to what was going on in the movie Alien, but what it shows us is equally strange and mysterious. We get to see some things sort of explained what they are, but we don't know why they function and they're connected to other things that we don't know what they are. And I think that's a good way of Mm. giving us a lead into something that's really kind of strange and mysterious while keeping it strange and mysterious. Mm. I think a very bad example is actually mm. uh, Peter Jackson's Hobbit movies. Peter Jackson's Hobbit movie. Well, Hobbit movies, the Star Trek movies, uh, the Harry Potter uh, prequels, these all have a sense of fatalism to them, that Mm -hmm. these things are destined to happen, and now we're just sort of waiting for what we already know to be set up. That's true, but what I was specifically thinking about from the Hobbit movies, which makes them a little different than some of those other examples, Mm -hmm. is because the Lord of the Rings had such a specific tone and scope... Mm -hmm. It felt like the Hobbit movies were forced to match that rather than be their own thing. Than, yeah, being it, the uh, the a, Hobbit a smaller, story is intimate a, story. The Hobbit yeah. story is a smaller story. It just is mm. by by nature of its actual narrative and length. Uh, but because the previous Lord of the Rings movies were so gigantic, the Hobbit was turned into something more like that instead of just letting it be actually a very good prequel story. Yeah, it's know, a they, very good prequel. They, they exactly what it is. Could have made one single, even if Peter Jackson wanted to, you know, go whole hog and include every detail from the book, as as he did yeah. with the the still be like last a movie. three hour movie. You, you can make a three, three hour, hour movie, you live action film. Hobbit movie, yeah. you got everything, you get the dragon in it. That, yeah. uh, maybe that would have been fine. That's what I'm saying. Why we're making a film based on The Sopranos, like what has it been like 16 or 17 years after it's been off the still air? Still popular. Still really popular. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, and thanks to the caprices of 
streaming deals, a lot of older shows do find their way back into the public eye again in, in ways that they hadn't in previous generations. So it became popular with a new generation, thanks mm-hmm. to streaming. And so and uh, James Gandolfini's son is getting into acting perhaps uh, yeah, they, this is what he wants he, to do they were waiting for him to be a certain age is he good to say he's good he's good. fine yeah, i yeah. mean i can't compare him to uh james gandolfini because i haven't seen his performance you, you, uh, in, in you know show. james gandolfini is an actor though. as an you actor know he's a brilliant actor yeah i've seen him in other things yeah so but the kid's good the kid's got uh he's good uh, but, but yeah. alessandra nivola is really the standout and uh, uh what's her name michela um uh, De Rossi. Okay. Michelle De Rossi is also really, really good in this. All right. Well, um, all right, well and, and Leslie Odom Jr. is always a delight. I love yeah. seeing Leslie, Leslie Odom Jr. and also Via Formiga. But yeah, it's it's something where we're pointing to a lot of these fatalistic things that I'm not familiar with. And as such, there's no... The creators don't seem to have found any kind of urgent need to tell any kind of story. It's like we're just going to give us a little bit of color background. It's a footnote than it is an actual feature film. Hmm. Um, that could so, be interesting, almost like a slice of life gangster movie. But it doesn't have that feel to it. Yeah. It doesn't. It, it 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 has these all of these. It's so incidental that it can't mm. have a slice of life uh, feeling to it. Okay. Well. Um. Okay. Well. I'm sorry this wasn't your film, mm. but uh, tell me, uh, was this your man? <laughs> oh, and if so, goodness. was it Dan Stevens? Dan Stevens is everybody's man. Oh, I, I wish. Mm. <laughs> I'm a huge, huge fan of Dan mm. Stevens. I'm actually bummed I didn't get to see this one. Now, this one actually came out last week, but I was interested enough that I wanted to check it out. And, um, yeah, and you were you wanted to cover it today. So, wanted, so yeah. So th- thank you for letting me uh, extend the episode. It's our far show. What am I going to do? I'm Your Man, directed by uh, Maria Schrader. Uh, it takes place in the near future, and it's about um, a professor. She's a... Um, a scholar of like ancient cuneiform tablets and like Babylonic languages. Okay. Uh, she's played by uh, Marin Eggert is the actor's name. And she has volunteered or has become involved with uh, testing out a new line of love robots. Okay. Uh, they've been able to make robots that look, look exactly like people. <laughs> and they've sort of quizzed her uh, and have tried to find what is, designed to be her ideal man and they come out with dan stevens not a bad start uh, yeah. i buy it and admittedly uh, that's 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 you could just default to that and everyone would be like cool <laughs> thank you yeah, the, the, evidently they went to dan stevens a because he's really handsome and b he's fluent in german he actually oh. uh, he he could already speak the language huh, didn't know that and uh at first, he only says really cliched things like, hello, it's good to see you. Your eyes are like pools I could get lost in. And, you know, he's, he's very robotic. And, yeah. and she says, no, I don't, I don't want to do this. And they keep on insisting, no, get, take it home. He has his programming has to sort of adapt a little bit yeah. to you. And, yeah, he's an algorithm. Yeah. And so cool. so yeah. bring him home and see, see what happens. And he tries doing very cliched romantic things. I've poured you a bubble bath after a hard day. Isn't that what, what you human women like? There's a very solid data quality to the Dan Stevens <laughs> character and that he's very he knows a lot of human behaviors and he's interested in human behavior, but he doesn't behave like a human. Right. He behaves like an android. And uh, a lot of the fascination of this movie comes from his discovery of human romantic feelings and, of course, the uh, the actual messy lives of humanity. Uh, the main character, her, the character's name is Alma has no interest for these kinds of superficial romantic things. She actually is, uh, you know, very 
she lives alone and she's very devoted to study. She's a very intellectual person. She's a very bitter person. She has a kind of sardonic sense of humor. She doesn't want to have to deal with this robot and his sort of fawning compliments because she knows they're not genuine. She can't get you know, her mind around the fact that this is an algorithm. And what I appreciate about this movie is it, it does kind of ride the line between like explaining how conscious the robot is. Is Dan Stevens actually developing a consciousness or is he just fulfilling a program? Uh, and as the film goes on, a few crises arise at her work um, and that sort of is really bad for her. And she overindulges in drink and wants to have sex with the Dan Stevens robot one evening, but he turns her down. Huh. Which, you know, okay. you know, it's like, I, I you know, the program consent is programmed in yeah, that, so that's you know, good, he understands yeah. that, but at the same yeah. time, he is a thing. Well, or <laughs> is may, he? Maybe he's just sort of a sophisticated vibrator at that point. Maybe um, he is, maybe he isn't. Is yeah, that the question so, that they ask? No, it doesn't oh. go too deep into that. What it ends up going to is a little bit more of a thoughtful, melancholic place about uh, the nature of lost love. And how that kind of loss and loneliness is actually kind of a vital part of a lot of us. Okay. And, uh, you know, Dan Stevens kind of starts to understand that by the, like, there's no big catharsis, but by the end, uh, he kind of comes to a slightly more human place without sort of becoming fully human. Hmm. There, there's not one of those insufferable tears in the rain speech. Like, in, yeah. uh, like, in Blade Oh, Runner. shut up. Any, any chance you can take a pot shot of Blade Runner? Uh, Blade Runner stinks and I don't like uh, it. And I'm going to say so. Oh, uh, <laughs> my heart. Like, those memories are but monster. tears in the rain. Those memories aren't real. They were programmed. That's the move on. That's the point. <laughs> okay. Anyway. All right. He, he believes he, he knows they're fake at that point, though. But they're all, no, 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 no. The things he's seen were things he had seen in his short lifespan. They weren't mm. fake memories. Those were he was actually like employed as a soldier robot. And the things that he's talking about are mm. things that he saw in war that no one else will ever know because he was only designed to live for a few years mm. and his impermanence is far worse than any human beings. And that's mm. tragic. Mm. Dingus. Okay. <laughs> I'd watch the movie again, but I don't want to. Tell me about... Uh, let me ask you a question, yeah. because the movie, as you're describing it, there's a there aren't a lot of great movies about people falling in love with like their sex robots or whatever, mm. uh, but the two that come to mind, and I'm curious if mm. the, how they compare, if you even know... Have you you've seen Cherry 2000? I've seen Cherry 2000. Cherry 2000 takes place in a near future where there's been an apocalypse and also... Uh, Dating has turned into a legal thing, and it's, so a lot of people just a, enjoy having their sex bots. It, it was a reaction to the AIDS crisis, Mostly, where yeah. uh, there was a lot of all of a sudden. It's it seemed like in the dating world that there was a lot more litigation going on. Yeah, it's like well, people were less just just wear a condom and communicate. That's all that was yeah. really ne necessary. But it 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 was played up to comedic effect in Cherry Two Thousand, where people bring their lawyers on dates. One of whom was played by Lawrence Fishburne. That's right, and yeah. uh, and. If you wanted to be extra safe and you had the money, you could purchase a love bot yeah. who, who would just compliment you and have sex with you whenever you want. And at the beginning of the movie, yeah. this one guy's love bot breaks and the only replacement part is in like the road warrior wasteland. It's, yeah, it's like out in the badlands. So, yes. <laughs> so it's the, it's Mad Max. It's, it's, like, it's like Fury Road, except instead of like trying to find like a utopia where we can all live free, he's just trying to fix his sex bot so he can go back to his nine to five desk job and be happy. <laughs> Weird movie. It has to be led in by a... a uh, Melanie Griffith, uh, and she's a, a real human being, and yeah. is he going to get along with a real human woman? It's actually pretty good. Uh, Robert Zadar has a cameo. <laughs> yeah. 
but the one I was actually thinking of the most is actually an underrated movie, uh-huh. and I haven't seen it in a while. But are you familiar with Making Mr. Right with John Malkovich? I didn't see that. Mm. It's a film by Susan Seidelman. Susan Seidelman, by the way, is one of the great auteurs of the 80s that people don't talk about enough. Uh, she also did Desperately Singing Susan, and as far as I'm concerned, her true masterpiece, She Devil, <laughs> uh, which is a great movie. Uh, but she did this movie called Making Mr. Right, which starred John Malkovich as a scientist who invents an android for like deep space travel. Mm-hmm. Someone who will like not have to worry about things like resources mm-hmm. or loneliness, but can man ships and do anything a human being could do while they were out there. And he makes it look just like him. So he plays a dual role. And uh, the PR person for the company ends up falling in love with the robot, and the robot ends up evolving and becoming more human than his creator. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's actually, like, it's it's goofy in a lot of ways, but it's actually really sad and thoughtful, because <laughs> that's what Susan Seidelman does. But, like, I don't know. I feel like there's so much like, interesting potential here. Well, um, it's, and that's what I, why I think uh, I'm Your Man is so intriguing, is that it is yeah. sort of sad and thoughtful. Okay. Uh, it, I'm it's, glad. You know, plays a little bit with its science fiction premise, but it, it doesn't delve into pure intellectuality. Okay. Uh, it, it does deal with um, uh, sort of the uh, the plague of loneliness that goes along with humanity. And because this is a, a European film or even a German film, it doesn't come to very rosy conclusions. It's free to be a little bit sad. Okay. I feel like if this was an American film, it would have, if it were sad, it would have been like a heroic kind of tragedy. Yeah. Like I, I've discovered my humanity and I'm now going to sacrifice myself and not tell the, have my mind erased or whatever. Uh, yeah. Here I think they're, they're just sort of letting, letting them say out loud, there is a lot of loneliness and we are relying on, platitudes and machinery to fill the void that should be filled by other human beings Mm. because to have a relationship with another human being is messy. It's not about just getting what you want. It's about meshing your relationship with another human being's life. And they are, they are complete and they're meshing with you as well. Like in Venom, let there be carnage. Yeah. Venom, let there be carnage, uh, knows just as much about relationships (laughs) than I'm your man. There you go. Um, all right, well, that sounds cool. Well, uh, next up, it's it's October, yeah. and uh, so we're starting to get an influx of horror movies. A lot of the streamers are starting to put out a whole lot of horror movies. Uh, there's like four or five that debuted this last weekend. Whitney saw one. I saw the other. I haven't reviewed a movie in a little bit, so I guess I'll do mine, and we'll finish up with yours. Uh, let's talk about No One Gets Out Alive. Tell me about No One Gets Out Alive. Well, No One Gets Out Alive, Whitney. Oh, well. It's like John dies at the end. You yeah, know, a bit of a spoiler, isn't it? Yeah, gave yeah. it away. Uh, no, no, this is a movie uh, starring uh, Christina Rodeo uh, as a woman. She is an undocumented immigrant from Mexico. So she's living off the grid. She's working in a sweatshop. And uh, she is trying to put together some semblance of a life after putting her life on hold to take care of her dying mother. Mm-hmm. She ends up uh, getting an apartment at a really ramshackle old building full of personality um, that uh, is obviously haunted because look at it, for God's sake. It's one of those things that might as well just have a neon sign. Probably haunted. <laughs> Be a good name for the movie. Uh, she, uh, But she moves in because she needs it's, it's cheap and they'll take cash and she do what she needs to do. But uh, she has certain needs. She needs to get a fake ID by Friday so she can get an actual decent job. Uh, But that puts her in a position to really leave herself vulnerable to 
uh, con artists and people who are trying to exploit her. Uh, and the best parts of the movie are just her trying to survive in an America that doesn't want to make room for her. Hmm. The worst parts of this horror movie are the horror stuff. Oh no. Which is not a great place to start because the actual horror stuff in the movie is, oh, there's a mysterious noise coming from the basement. And the super of the building says, oh, don't go down there. And I'm like, okay. So there's some down in the basement. Cool. Well, I, I remember a, a description Roger Ebert once gave of a horror movie where uh, it says, uh, people sneak into dark attics and extend ex- uh, parts of their bodies into places where they will soon be forensic evidence. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing I kept thinking about is, did you see the remake of uh, The Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe? I, I did. Um, I saw the sequel, too. I don't remember a thing about those movies. Okay. The, they, the, they just passed the, the right through my brain without hitting any brain cells. The sequel's so damn forgettable. But the the, the original like made-for-TV horror movie, The Woman in Black, is actually pretty scary. It's not my favorite, but I know why a lot of people love it. Uh, but the Daniel Radcliffe remake is basically Daniel Radcliffe moves into this obviously super-duper haunted house. And, like, the majority of the movie is him walking down dark hallways, opening a door and going, anything scary yet? <laughs> no. Okay, I'll be back. It's clearly inspired by turns, the turn of the screw. Yeah. But, yeah. And then he turns around and something is scary. And then he goes, walks around like, okay, what about now? Scary? Good? No. All right, I'll be back. One more time. Oh, no, it's scary. Okay, great. I'm as scared as I have ever been. I'm Daniel Radcliffe. And then he closes the door. <laughs> like, it's just really repetitive. And there's something that's, when you're watching this movie, it's just like kind of baseline haunting movie hmm. where it's the skeleton on which most haunting movies are based, but it doesn't really do much with the actual haunting story. Everything hmm. you suspect is going on. Oh, everyone's having these like weird hallucinations about this weird box. Okay, well, there's something in that box, and that box is in the house, isn't there? And the movie's like, well, yeah. And I'm like, cool. Uh, we're not going to get that until really late, aren't we? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. What's happening until then? Well, she's going to stand around, and there'll be something behind her once in a while. Okay, so... Uh, when the movie finally, like, kicks into the climax... so frustrating. It, it, the I, can, I can hear your frustration. Like, it's, it's not bad. It's just really mediocre for a lot of it. And... Ultimately, you know, most horror movies, especially haunting movies, are not about what they're about. They're not about uh, mm. ghosts are real and it's scary. They're, they're about, about something d- dissolving of a family unit. They're about something, something that's um, going on inside the character's head. Yeah, they're, they're, this character is haunted by something, uh, and they would be haunted by that even if there weren't ghosts. Um, here, what the character is, the character is ostensibly haunted by the death of her mother, but what she's really What's really plaguing her is the constant oppression of living in America where there's this lot of opportunity, but people are desperately trying to keep it from you. Uh, that does not connect to the storyline in the house. The storyline in the house is way more about like generational and institutional misogyny. Okay. And the rest of the story wasn't really about that, so those mm. two things don't really connect. It climaxes with pretty neat monster like i'll give you like there's a there's a cool like scary thing at the end of the movie Mm. um but when the movie finally concludes as it concludes like the way it ends like the last thing 
you realize that this doesn't connect thematically to anything either. And it feels like they're just, instead of this, the idea that here's someone whose situation, the sociopolitical situation, their financial situation, their immigration situation, their living situation, is the source of their anxiety and that anxiety is the source of the horror. Mm. It feels like it's just an excuse to keep her in the house because she can't leave because she mm. doesn't have anyone else to go. Jeez. And that's something that's hard to do in a haunted house story is like, well, why do you stay in the house? Leave. Yeah. Like there's, there needs to be a valid, it's why poltergeist works so well. We can't leave. Our daughter is missing somewhere in this house. The, the, so they, there's um, a reason to stay. It, in one of the very few funny jokes in a haunted house, which yeah. is a spoof movie. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The two two good bits. One where the ghost is trying to distract them, and they're determined not to look. And the ghost uh, keeps doing bigger and crazier yeah, things. Like they're, they're just eating chewing, their cereal. And... Like past past the sugar. And yeah. uh, <laughs> the other one is uh, something ghostly happens, and they say, "We're going. That's it. We're not yeah. going to stick around where there's a house, uh, where there's a ghost in the house." And then they come back in tears and say. But the equity, like it was, <laughs> we, can't, we, we, we just can't afford, paid for this house. We can't afford to go a new place now, yeah, so they have to go back in for financial. Practical reasons. thing, isn't it? it, it that, the, those um, are the two funny events. Um, the, the rest of the movie sucks. <laughs> yeah, but like again, you got to come up with a reason for them to stay, or like they're trapped in the house, and it's like takes place over a short period of time. But it's like this takes place over the course of like a week, so just fucking go. And the excuse for her to stay is there. But that's unfortunately all it reads like when it's actually like you're spending so much time and real estate in the movie on this. You're not really making the most out of it thematically or even character wise or even scare wise. Mm -hmm. And it just I feel like this is the kind of movie where you want it's all made with good intention. Nothing is like really bad about it. I'm just explaining why it never kicks in. Okay. Um, This feels like the kind of movie you watch if you're like trying to come up with ideas for a horror movie. <laughs> so like you so just, you can, so you, this is, this is the baseline reading and now you yeah. can make alterations. So like you watch this movie and you think to yourself, okay, what would be scarier here? What would be more interesting here? What location would be more exciting? What would it be more interesting? Okay. So that's the explanation of what's going on. Well, that's not very interesting. What would be more interesting? And then you can build on it. Mm. This feels like it really needed. I don't know. It's based on a book. I don't know how faithful it is. This feels like it needed some development because it's just pretty thin. Yeah. And that's very unfortunate. Um, so if you're an easy mark for like ghost stories, this still might en- this still might engage you and be kind of creepy because it's atmospheric. Mm. Uh, but if you've seen a lot of them, if you're a fan of ghost stories and haunted house stories in particular, uh, this this really isn't going to give you much, unfortunately. Wow. It's a real bummer, honestly. Um, it's I, I'm not mad at it. It's mm. just never kicks in. What um, what about uh, uh, Welcome to the Blumhouse uh, Black as Night? Black as Night. Um, Welcome to the Blumhouse is actually a whole series of films. Last year they came out with four around this time of year. Uh, I got to see two of them. I don't um, remember which one? Uh, let me look up the titles of the two I got to see. Uh, but uh, they they ended up making four, uh, two one week, two the following week, and they're doing the same thing this year. Uh, Blumhouse. Uh, Bless Blumhouse for what they do. Uh, they are able to make a good deal of horror films with a lot of ambitious filmmakers. They give them a lot of uh, chances uh, to see if they can make a good horror film under budget. That's yeah. sort of their biggest their biggest they deal. Give you a very low budget and knock yourself out. Mm. Yeah. Sometimes uh, so, you get something really great out of it. Sometimes you don't. But the financial commitment is so small; it's not a big yeah. deal. Usually, I, I saw a movie called Black Box uh, last year, oh, I which was. That, yeah. it, it had a premise similar to that of uh, 
that film The Cell, where you could use a science fiction machine to enter into other people's brains. Yeah. And it's about you know, manipulating memories. Uh, there's also a film called The Lie, a film called Evil Eye, a film called Nocturne. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw Nocturne was pretty uh, pretty forgettable. Yeah. Um, but this week they released two. One was called Bingo Hell. I did not see Bingo Hell. And I saw Black as Night, uh, directed by Marit Lee Go. Uh, and she is uh, telling a vampire story. Uh, this is a vampire story set in modern-day New Orleans. Uh, the main character is played by a, a young woman named Aja Cooper, and she is, she's about 14. And the opening is very Judy Bloom. Uh, she's talking about she has a crush on a boy, and uh, the opening line is, uh, the, 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 summer I, I, the summer I got my breasts was the summer I fought vampires. Mm. So she, she's very uh, self-conscious about her body. She's, uh, you know, passing through puberty and having a lot of anxiety in that regard. And she's also has a lot of anxiety about her color. She's, uh, they actually talk very openly about how, uh, people with, uh, black people with darker skin seem to have fewer opportunities than black people with lighter skin. And she's mm. concerned about that. And this is actually something that's weighs very heavily on her mind. Hence the title black mm. as night. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, wouldn't you know it? There's some homeless people around town who have been attacking people at night and they're clearly vampires. Mm. She finds that one of them is like in a shack at her school has just been hiding out there. Uh, she is attacked one night and she's bitten and she immediately runs home and plasters up the windows and says, I'm definitely a vampire. <laughs> like she doesn't consult with anybody. She like, doesn't just like, oh, that was it. Why like, I know, it? I yeah. know what's going on here. This is vampires. Uh, her, her best friend, the cliche, the clichéist of cliche of gay best friends, uh, yeah. Un- unfortunately, is just nothing interesting is done with with this character. Uh, yeah, tells her no. I don't think you're a vampire. She's like, yeah, I definitely am. We have to go to the local like vampire fiction goth girl conclave to get some more information. So they team up with this vampire writer. Uh-huh. And of course the boy she has a crush on, who's like this big uh, muscular young man because he, they need some muscle as well. I, uh, I remember once mm. I got, uh, cause I kept seeing in movies whenever someone like was like possessed by a demon or attacked by vampires, they always went to their local library mm. and got like some ancient yeah, book or whatever. I always liked the, the research Montages. Do you ever actually go to a library and see what their supernatural section is like? Because mm. in my experience, it's pretty thin. It depends actually, on the library. I went yeah. once. We went there. There's a library on. Um, uh, it's on Westwood. It's it's uh, it's Overland. Oh, there's a library in Overland. Mm. Um, and uh, I went there, and I was just like, I'm just gonna see. Like, what if this was the only library I had access to, oh. and someone I knew was possessed by a demon? Mm. The close, all, and I did all the research I could. I picked up all the books, uh-huh. and here's what I got: If someone you know is possessed by a demon, get an amulet. <laughs> that's it. That was all what, the. What, it just was like, so useless. Just like any amulet. Well, that's Apparently. easy. I just go to Marshalls and pick one up. Exactly. It was so disappointing. Yeah, um, I digress. But they they proceed to go vampire hunting, and uh, as as it turns out, uh, our our young heroine's mother uh, has been vampired, and she's had a strained relationship with her mother. Her mother was an addict, mm. and uh, was recovering, kind of at risk, still on the cusp, and and she died as a result of the vampire. So now uh, the goal is to get revenge against the head vampire, who may or may not be this local celebrity who's who's uh, living in this big mansion in New Orleans. Or is it Keith David, our celebrity guest? Ooh. 
I think it might be Keith David. Our well, celebrity the, 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 is the is the celebrity not guest, but within the narrative is are, are they played by someone cool? Um, he wasn't anybody I recognized. Ah, okay. Because that would be how you hide it. Yeah. You have like two celebrity guests, so you don't know which one it is. Yeah, it's it's like in you know Law and Order. You have a celebrity guest. It's it's them. They're the killer. Yeah, you, <laughs> that's why you got the celebrity guest. You, you don't get you, you, you don't yeah. get Martha Plimpton and have them not be the killer. Yeah, you just Martha Plimpton just shows up in the lineup, but it's not them. Yeah, and that's it. <laughs> that would be a great that would be a great misdirect. Though. Oh no, huh, it's Martha Plimpton. No, not her. Well, we're, we're moving on. Mm, no. Too obvious. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I chose Martha Plimpton. She was on the uh, guest on. The I love Order Martha Plimpton. So, Martha Plimpton's yeah, great. Uh, she's going to be in a movie next week called Mass. So I oh, cool. Get get to that one. Okay. Um, this movie is as perfunctory as they get in terms of this kind of stuff. Uh, last year, a, a really wonderful movie came out called Vampires vs. the Bronx about younger kids. They were like maybe uh, uh, ten to twelve who discovered that vampires were moving into their neighborhoods and it was actually vampires who were responsible for gentrification. Yeah. Uh, cute movie. Yeah. Really wonderful. Nice light, light in spirit and tone. Concept is a bit obvious, but it, it really works. Yeah, it's, 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 so it's a, it's a good sleepover movie. Uh, yeah. and, uh, the scenes where they're watching the movie blade for research. <laughs> Oh, really hilarious. Yeah, it makes me really... It makes me chuckle just thinking about it. Yeah. Like it's, uh, it that's a good film. This, this doesn't have any of that kind of wit to it. Mm. Like, the idea of, like, we have to go to, like, the goth girls who are meeting in a church talking about vampires for, like, legit information is kind of amusing. But they don't give us any information that we don't have from generations of vampire movies. Yeah. Uh, there is one interesting bit, and it comes near the end, where they finally cornered the villain, and it turns out uh, he's a black man who's been living in New Orleans for hundreds and hundreds of years. And he says, you know what we're going to do? We're just, we're just going to kill white people now because we've seen it. We've been slaves in the past. We've seen all of these slave uprisings. We've seen all of these protests. We even as early, even as re, they even mentioned uh, the black lives matter protest of 2020. Mm-hmm. And they say, when has it stuck? We're still being oppressed. This sucks. And if you're a, if you're a vampire, if you're a black vampire, yeah, generations of oppression now. I wish they had like played with that a little bit more. That and expanded like on that idea. Point yeah, that's like else, this yeah. is a really interesting concept. You just sort of drop right at the end of this movie during the climax of the movie. It's like no, no, this do more. Yeah. You just said something really interesting. It sounds like that they really wanted to do was like a coming of age thing, though. Is it worth yeah. a coming of age story? Or? It doesn't really because. <sighs> Quite frankly, the characters are so boring. Uh, you know, we understand that you know our, our lead is uh, uh, Aja Cooper. The, the Aja Cooper character is really insecure in that adolescent sort of way, and she's insecure about her uh, about the way she looks and about her body and about her race. These are all the things that are brought up. Mm. But I feel like the film doesn't really explore them in any kind of deep or meaningful way and doesn't let her be her own character. She is no nothing more than just that collection of vague traits written down on a character sheet. And uh, Aja Cooper is... Uh, she's doing what she can, but she's not really given a lot of character work to really sort of build that character up. So there's a lot of interesting ideas in here in terms of racial justice and using you know the supernatural to explore that, but the most interesting concepts are brought up and then let go just as quickly. And it becomes really kind of this rote, very brief vampire uh, thriller. Uh, it is pretty disappointing. Wow. It sounds like we both ran into some pretty tepid yeah, yeah. uh, straight to streaming horror films. Well, maybe it'll pick up next week. Next week, 
Uh, well, uh, what's, there, what's great is, movies before is, we move to next like, week? Is there anything big coming out next week? Oh, uh, there's, a, there's a James Bond movie coming out uh, next week. Fine. That there's. Uh, I was trying to lead to some sort of joke, and I couldn't think uh, of one. It's after one a.m. Let's let's wrap this up. Vampires cannot die, and there's no time to die. There you go. Oh, okay, joke. great. Yeah. Thank you. All right, let's review some movies on the critically acclaimed scale once again. For anyone who's new or needs a refresher, we review films on a scale of C minus to C plus. The lowest the movie can get is a C minus. That's below average. Everything from we just don't recommend it to the worst movie ever. C is average. Mm. A little bit of good, a little bit of bad. Maybe better for some audiences than others. And then C plus is above average. We genuinely recommend the movie. We might even think it's legitimately great. On that scale, where does Welcome to the Blumhouse Black as Night fall? Uh, it's a C minus. Uh, Keith David is the is the good part of it, and I don't okay. I I am loath to scare people away from a Keith David performance. Mm. But yeah, it's it's just not really worth your time. It is just f- frustratingly uninteresting. Yeah, that's how I felt about uh, No One Gets Out Alive. That is also a C minus. Um, it's not a passionate C minus. It's, it's not a terrible movie. Um, there's just really nothing all that interesting about it. Um, if your taste in horror movies doesn't uh, skew very complex. You might enjoy like a pretty straightforward baseline haunted house story, but if you're if you're not like if your standards are higher than that, you're not going to enjoy this. <laughs> and I even think then you're not going to really love it. So that's and why not thing. have high standards? Oh, that's why we're here. Uh, mm. What about I'm Your Man? I'm Your Man uh, is is a, a really high C. I feel like there's a lot more profound things that could have gone on here, but more than anything, it's just a a rather intimate tale of of loneliness okay. um, that uh, sort of that's all it ever aspires to be, and I think that's it does does that well rather than sort of going way off into the the heavens with high ideas. Okay, the many saints of Newark. Uh, that is a C minus. Yeah, there there's a lot of good performances, a lot of interesting things happening in the movie but there's no movie here it's just sort of a bunch of stuff that happens although again we remind you with the caveat that that review comes to someone who never watched the show i never watched maybe if you watch the show you get something else out of it but if you some people haven't that's Mm. the perspective when he's coming from uh next up the adams family two uh it's a c yeah the other the last one i gave a c minus this is a definite improvement Still a little bland, still a little too family-friendly. All of the mm-hmm. pop music inserts were pretty insufferable, but at least they got the spirit of the Adams Family right, and that's always a nice place to be. All right, uh, Titan uh, is a C-plus for me. I have no idea what it is, but I like it. <laughs> I think that's the best I can <laughs> say. Uh, it's a very emotionally uh, earnest film with a plot that is almost designed to keep you at arm's length, but I think the more you delve and the more you dig, the more you'll get out of it. Mm. Uh, and I've been enjoying having this movie sort of ruminating in my head for the last few days. I really did. I really do think it's something yeah, there's, very interesting. There's definitely a lot to think about here about rage and body horror and gender identity and a, just a lot of interesting things besides. Mm-hmm. Uh, An incredibly uh, fluid nature of love as a concept. Yeah, yeah. There's there's yeah. there's a lot a lot yeah. to discuss and it's really fascinating and it's really uh, marvelously repellent while <laughs> drawing you in with all these intriguing ideas. Uh, yeah, definitely a C plus. Certainly, there's nothing else like it in theaters right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and lastly. Venom, let there be carnage. C plus. <laughs> a C plus. It's really, really fun. I really fun, dug fun, it. Fun, silly, romantic slime monster movie. It's a character-driven mm. superhero story. Uh, it's very efficient. It raises some interesting themes. It explores them pretty well. I, I will say this. Uh, 
leave before the post credit stinger. I don't care about because the post credit stinger, stinger is sinks there, a lot. Of I it. could I could go on. I don't want to talk about yeah. it in detail because a lot of people haven't seen it yet. But um, for me, the post credit stinger is the absolute least interesting thing, least, least interesting part of that movie. It's, and, and in and, fact, um, it actually makes me really really worried about the follow up because I feel like they've already started missing the point uh-huh. in an effort to go in a different direction, mm-hmm. and uh, that really bugs me. And I also am also annoyed when um, we see a whole dang movie, and the only thing people want to talk about is the teaser for the next one. That that's well, that's the way marketing has sort of trained a lot I of know, audiences. But can we to enjoy think. the fact um, that we just had this cool movie? We just for had a this cool. First. We had a cool movie. There's an ad for the next movie at the end. Don't talk about the ad. Talk about what we got, which was yeah. this, like I said, a, a slime monster romance of the highest order. I've never. This is the first that I can recall polyqueer superhero <laughs> movie and mm. I loved it and I'm glad that's there. We need more people making big swings like this. Go for it. Go nuts. Make it weird and um, not that that's weird but the movie itself. There's, there's a brain eating space slimes. It's kind of a weird <laughs> thing really. And yet tender mm. <laughs> and romantic and progressive and full of fun performances. What a great film. I loved it. Um Anyway, that's it for this week. Next week we'll be back with some sort of Bond movie, I guess. Uh, and uh, we'll the also... the 20, 25th Bond movie? I think officially it's like the 25th. But there's yeah. also the non-canonical there's ones. Never say never 25th again. 25th canonical James Bond movie. The 1960s Casino Royale. The TV yeah. movie Casino Royale. Both also, of which are good, by the way. Um, yeah. Also be... Uh, rev- I, that movie Mass I mentioned earlier with oh, Martha yeah. Plimpton is coming out next week. Lamb uh, is coming Lamb out is next coming week. Out and, and other things besides. We'll I'm sure there'll be plenty. If there's more Blumhouse stuff, we might get to that too. Um, but anyway, that's what's coming up next week on Critically Acclaimed. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much for joining us for our movie reviews. We're very grateful to have you here. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Uh, if you want to get even more shows from us in addition to the free feed at the Critically Acclaimed Network, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network we have a lot of exclusive shows there for our patrons shows about batman shows about every single episode of star trek in order we're doing next generation right now mm-hmm. uh shows about every single film ever nominated for best picture we need to get on that we have an episode doing about a week yeah. uh we do commentary tracks we do hangouts every single month you get to vote for future episodes of our shows there's a lot of stuff over there Thank you to every single one of our patrons for helping this show and all our other shows stay afloat. Without you, they could not. So it means a lot to us that you're helping out. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we also have an email address. If you want to email us, we might read your email on an upcoming episode of our show, We've Got Mail. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a uh, uh, P.O. Box. Whitney, mm-hmm. tell us about the P.O. Box. Yeah, you can write us a physical letter. Send us a, a, a letter in the mail. Mm-hmm. We like that. Uh, it's been slowed down because, you know, screw that dude, but um, mm. he's slowing it down for us. But you can still get it to us, and we'll still read it. Uh, <laughs> our PO, you can write to the Critically Acclaimed Network, uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. I want to give a very special thank you to one of our patrons uh, who sent me a t-shirt from the Salem Horror Fest. Uh, <laughs> very, very cool. I've been wearing it very proudly. Thank yeah. you so much for that. Um, but um, yeah and I guess that's it so thank you everybody once again you are awesome we love you to pieces have a great week stay safe stay sane and never forget everyone's a critic I wanna go to the midnight show I'm sorry what